And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets with Tim McMaster, Zach Rosenblatt, and Marissa Dunn. Can't wait! Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition episode of the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Zach Rosenblatt and Marissa Dunn. Uh, We are recording today in order to talk about the story that Zach published on The Athletic. It came out this morning about the relationship between Michael Floor and Zach Wilson, the underlying issues and everything that went into basically the sinking of the Jets season. So a lot to get into. We're really going to focus this whole pod uh, just on the story um, I guess, first of all, Zach, congratulations on being done with this, because I'm sure a lot <laughs> went into it the last few days. But I'll start there. Like, what? How did you go about the, the reporting of this story before we get into the details that are in it? Yeah, um, you know, it's, you know, the, over the course of a season, I would say, like, just like backtrack all the way to the beginning. Like over the course of the season, you like hear things and you put it in the back of your mind or people tell you things off the record or on background and. And you kind of just keep that in, in your back pocket. So you see like, okay, if that becomes something, I'll keep that in the back of my head. So you hear things over the course of the season. And so I have that in the back of my head as it, as the season's going along. Even while they're winning, you're hearing a lot of the stuff about Zach Wilson and the floor and stuff like that. But they're winning, so it's okay. And that, that's the thing. Like, th- this isn't even a story if the Jets, like, finished out the season and made the playoffs, honestly. Like, um, it, it is a story, but, like, I don't know if it would have, like, come out in the same way. Uh, but the season collapsed. And then if people want answers and people want to know why it got to this point, why it got to the point where Zach Wilson was so, you know, lacked such confidence that they had to bench him. And when he came back, he was such a shell of himself that, you know, everybody saw what it was and how did it get to that point? Um, why did the offense not score touchdowns in the last three games? Why did they struggle so much in the red zone? Like all the obvious things, because in, in this season in particular, the Jets were good enough uh to make the playoffs as we talked about over and over again their defense when you have that good of a defense you should at least you know be in position to make the playoffs in the last week and they were eliminated before the last week uh because of how poorly it went down the stretch and um i think there there was a lot they had to answer for in terms of that and i think you know one of the answers was uh lafleur you know parting ways and the other is that they're probably gonna not if not move on from zach wilson at least not start him anymore so i think that you know it, it was rooted in that it was rooted in you know, just trying to diagnose what happened. And uh, I think it's I think it's important to paint the full picture for fans who like want to know, you know, what went wrong at the end. And I also think and this is a big part of the story. I, I think it's important to point out that, you know, I think their problems are pretty clear and I don't think it's like a dysfunctional organization like it used to be. I I, I don't think that should be the takeaway from the article. And I I think I presented it in a way that I think Salah has done a really good job behind the scenes of like maintaining the composure of everybody, keeping everybody together, even while all these guys were very frustrated with certain things. Um, I, I think ultimately this posi- this organization is a much better position right now than they were when this, you know, when Adam Gase left, for example, like when, when Salah came in as he's gotten, you know, him and Joe Douglas are flowing in the same direction. They both, um, they seem to agree on a lot of the things they do. And 
ultimately it didn't work this year. And unfortunately for them, because of the way it happened, and I've talked about this, like if it it's the nature of the beast and it's unfortunate, but if you flip the schedule and the Jets lose in the beginning of the season and then win at the end, uh, this might be a different conversation right now. Um, but the reality is it's what have you done for me lately? And, you know, you have an impatient owner who hasn't been in the playoffs in 12 years. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where it was all rooted. It was rooted in figuring out what happened, uh, how they handled it behind the scenes and where they go from here. The story does point Robert Sala, I think, in a, in a pretty positive light as as a guy who was constantly kind of putting out fires and um, keeping this team as well as he could on the right path and all of that stuff. Um, let's get into, I guess, back to the beginning of the story. And anybody who hasn't read it yet, if you need to get to The Athletic, you can do that for $1.99 a month right now for a year. That's $1.99 a month for a year, theathletic.com slash can't wait. But where the story kind of starts is at the beginning of kind of Michael LaFleur's tenure. And this is an offense in a West Coast offense that obviously has, you know, a lot of teams run it at this point. It's a big tree around the NFL. Um, but there was talk from people that you talked to, including receivers, who felt that it was overly complicated and it was unlike anything they had ever run. And that was kind of an issue from LaFleur from the start. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just reading a, a work message. What, what, what exactly did you ask again? <laughs> just about the fact that that this offense, even though it's it's a well known offense, obviously mm. the West yeah, Coast, yeah, that, that kind of attack, it for but Zach, yeah. it was very complicated. Yes. well for Zach, and then obviously for, and for receivers as well, yeah, right? Yeah. That like I think one line you had was we have one route, but it has a bunch of different names depending on the concept. That's nothing I've ever dealt with in the NFL. From yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry about that. That was that was a Connor move for by by me right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? What I will say is, like, it. I think it's known as a complicated scheme, and I think a big issue, and even beyond the receivers and the routes, and you know, that's definitely like a challenge because they have a lot of young guys. Um, it's a it's an offense that's built for like a veteran quarterback that like knows what he's doing, and I don't think it. I, I think I read an old article where it like pointed out, I think it was in Sports Illustrated from, I don't even know if the Jets staff had been put together yet or not. Um, but it was about how there pretty rarely there had been like rookie quarterbacks like running the, or like young quarterbacks running this offense uh, over the years. Even like when Shanahan was an offensive coordinator elsewhere, it was always like a veteran quarterback. And the Jets, you know, they hitched their wagon to Zach. They didn't have any veteran quarterbacks, which LaFleur is one of the people that admitted they should have had a veteran in there. Uh, and so they threw Zach into the fire as a rookie and tried to get him to figure out this very complicated scheme, with a lot of variables, a lot of language, a lot of things you got to remember, a lot of things you got to keep an eye on. And they realized it wasn't working and they tried to, to simplify it. But that, you know, if you're simplifying the offense and you're reducing what you can do in the offense and we've seen when what that offense looks like when it's at its best is what the 49ers are doing right now with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Ironically, he is a rookie. So I guess that theory kind of kind of dies right there. But um yeah, ultimately it's a it's a complicated scheme and you know for receivers and for quarterbacks and for offensive linemen it's a it's a lot to take in but you know and he's and he's a new offensive coordinator who had no experience calling plays and running an offense he was pretty much given the keys to that offense which you know Sala was comfortable with him and he was a highly regarded guy I think that was a move that was praised when he was hired uh, quite a bit I think everybody was excited by that you have the name recognition his his background how he came up all that stuff so um you know, ultimately, 
ultimately it'll always be a what if of what if they had a really good quarterback in there, but they didn't. And so you have to work with what you have. And they as LaFleur was not able to overcome his lack of quarterback. And then by the end of the season, the problems on the offensive line. But uh, over the course of the full season, if you just have a better quarterback, you win at least one of the one of those games they lost and they might be in the playoffs. All right, so that brings us to kind of where it feels like this thing started to crumble a little bit, which is first off between Zach's rookie season and his second season, the decision was made to make this offense a little more digestible, kind of simplified yeah. for Zach and and make it better. Then he gets hurt, um, which didn't help, obviously, because he misses the first few games. You have other quarterbacks in there. And then he comes back, and it's this simplified offense. And it seems like at that point there's – Correct me if I'm wrong. LaFleur is kind of frustrated because he's not running the offense. He'd rather run. And the receivers are frustrated because of what's happening and the way the offense is running. And that gets us to Elijah Moore's, you know, burst out in practice, getting sent home and all of that. And that's where it feels like things started to come to a hit. Yeah, I I, I think it's all connected. Like the frustration with the offense is connected to the frustration with Zach, a quarterback and simplifying it. Like, I think it all kind of connects, which is why I put all of that in there. Um, you know, I, the, the simplifying part when, when Zach came back, the, what I was told is that, and it's in the story is, uh, like the directive to him was if your first read's not there and your second read's not there, run like that was, they were just really trying to simplify it to that point. And you kind of saw that in the games, like he was always looking to run quickly and you kind of understand a little bit better why now. Uh, but you know, the, the product of that is that, you know, the guys that are the third, fourth, the fifth read in, in, in the passing game are just being ignored completely. And Elijah obviously was usually that, uh, especially in the Packers game, which is when everything kind of came to a head when he didn't get targeted a single time. And um, so, yeah, you had the simplified. I don't think he I don't think Elijah was the only frustrated receiver, by the way. He was just the most vocal about it, obviously. Um, but, yeah, so what happened? So what happens with that is and so now your receivers are unhappy because they're not getting the ball or they're not getting the ball in position where they feel like they can succeed and as an offensive coordinator, like almost understandably, LaFleur is just he's just trying to conduct an offense to get out of each game alive and just do what you can to like get out of there uh, and win without like, you know, turning the ball over all that stuff. I think that was a lot of times the game plan, especially like those Patriots games, uh, particularly the second one. Like it was just ultra conservative <laughs> one two run. Yeah, uh, it was just ultra conservative. Um with designs of like not letting Zach make mistakes, which is just like not a way to play winning football. Like their defense was good enough that they were able to survive doing that for a while. But eventually like the, I don't know if it was luck, but it, it ran out and you know, was, they needed to pat when they needed to pass the ball, they couldn't. And then you go to Mike white and not to get too far ahead of myself. I'm sure we're going to hit that actually. Um, but yeah, so I ultimately the, the simplification is what led to receivers not getting the looks and, and the routes that they wanted and what that led to is some frustration with the receivers and them blowing up in practice and demanding trades and, and, and guys like openly grumbling about Zach, just like not being a good quarterback. And um, I don't think it was like a fractured locker room. I don't think it was, it's either Zach or we're going to, we're going to, we're going to riot. It was, it was more just like, come on, like our, our defense is like this good. Like we're, we're wasting this season away uh, with this guy at quarterback is, is I think the feeling around that locker room. Another key moment in the season that you get to in this story is um, after the second Patriots loss and Zach Wilson with the now famous, I guess, no, no response to uh, taking responsibility basically for the loss. And you give a little bit of background on that and that Zach kind of saw he wasn't necessarily reacting the way we 
thought he was. Well, he was reacting to the question, but yeah. it was more about his frustration than what he was actually thinking in the moment. Yeah, I, you know, he, he obviously gets there. He's frustrated based on what happened in the game. And, the, and then, as I said in there, he's sitting in the back of the press conference room. You know, Robert Sala is being grilled about, um, are you going to bench Zach? Is he the one holding back your offense? Is he is he the cause of all the problems? And Zach just had to sit there and listen to that. And, and then he gets up there. And, um, you know, he's getting grilled again. And he's he's kind of, you know, I, I don't think his answers before that end answer were that great either. That was when he, like, blamed the wind a little bit. Um, you know, he admitted that he, like, um, missed some throws or wished, some throws he wished he could have back. And then they say last question. And I think at that point he was checked out, like he was already ready to go to the locker room. And then the question gets asked, um, do you put it on your shoulders or whatever? No, no. It blows up. Guys in the locker room aren't particularly happy. I don't think Zach realized like the magnitude of what he just did because you know I, I kind of that part of it I I kind of get because you just like you, he literally said two words so I, I can't imagine right. he thought that would cause a firestorm in the moment obviously, and it, he didn't realize it had until he was walking out onto the bus and like his dad texted him and 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 then there were just like a couple of days where I'm sure he was kind of frantic. Uh, guys texting him. I think he was planning on apologizing at his next press conference, uh, but some guys were like maybe you should stand in front of the team and apologize. And he did. It was heartfelt. But at that point, he had been benched already. And kind of, you know, I, I again, I still don't necessarily think that was what caused him to be benched. I, I would be surprised if that wasn't a factor. Because um, like I like, I mean, as the whole story says, like the locker room had moved on from him. So um, not moved on, but they were like over having him at quarterback. What I think ultimately, I, I think I don't think everybody like hates Zach in that locker room. I don't think that should be a t I think guys were frustrated. They, they hate him as a quarterback, maybe like they don't. They were frustrated right, that he's, he was not going to get them where they can, they should go. And so they're like, why are we playing this guy? You can't play. It's not that they don't like him. I, I get the sense that he's like a like, likable enough guy. Um, and some, and some guys like really like him in that locker room and think he's nice and stuff, but I, I don't, he doesn't galvanize them like Mike White did. And he, he just doesn't have the skill or didn't play at the level of somebody who like would make everybody happy around him. So that opens the door, right? The benching opens the door for now. Michael LaFleur gets, I guess I'll call him his guy in a quarterback where he can kind of open up the offense and all of that. And it looks like it's going to click, right? Like at that moment, it seemed like they had found something, but it, it just wasn't enough at that point. But like Michael Flora, and you mentioned this towards the beginning, he hadn't been real secretive about the fact of who he would prefer to be the quarterback of this team. Yeah. Even dating back to the off season, I, I think he was telling people, um, you know, look at what the offense did when Mike White was in there and Flacco went against the Dolphins and Josh Johnson and that game Josh Johnson played and look at the numbers and um, how the offense played those days. And it and it's, it was clear like the offense was a better fit for, you know, guys had better grasp of the system. Ultimately, like Mike White has a very high IQ. He processes really well. I think that's his best skill, honestly, beyond like the throwing stuff is his processing. Um, and so, you know, and then you, you see what happened in that Vikings game. And LaFleur, and I think he would even admit it, deserves criticism for the red zone stuff. But, like, they got to the red zone six times and scored one touchdown, which means they were putting up yards and they were, you know, moving and they just weren't finishing drives, which is a problem, but it's evidence that, like, the offense was playing better with Mike White. Uh, I mean, the Bears game, you could you could point to. I, we haven't seen Zach have a game like Mike White did against the Bears, but it was the Bears' defense, so I don't think you put a lot of stock into that. And then Mike was... He wasn't playing amazing against the Bills, but he was pretty good before he got took the shots to the ribs. And, you know, that that that's also a what if of the season. Like, you know, I, I people probably remember 
like most recently for a Seahawks game uh, where he, he struggled, but he was still banged up. He had fractured ribs. So I, it's another what if of what if Mike White had been healthy through the end of the season. And that's going to be something they're going to probably think about for a long time if it doesn't work out this next year, because it's like a, one of those like, you know, um, you know, wine, cr- crossroads moments where they did, they wound up not going down the road that they that led to the playoffs. So. Yeah. All right. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but we have to take a quick break and we'll be back with more on this story. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, continuing on with the story um, on The Athletic about the failure of the Jets season, basically, and what went wrong with Zach Wilson and Mike LaFleur. And um, Zach, you talked about the what-ifs. Um, you know, what if Mike White had stayed healthy and all of that? If that happens, right, and this team, um, you know, makes the playoffs in some way, obviously Mike LaFleur doesn't get fired. I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. But are the are all the problems fixed? Or if even if that happens, is this are there still kind of cracks here that it would have persisted? That, that, that's, that's a really good question. Um you know, ultimately, and I, I said this and I wrote this, I, I didn't think they should fire LaFleur. Like I see there are obviously there are problems behind the scenes and stuff like that. But you're seeing now with this search, I, I think they're having a hard time um, finding candidates that want to come to a place where, the, you know, there's not job security for next year. You don't know who the quarterback is and you have to build the offensive line. Like, I think that's a real thing they're running into. And and the perception that the owner meddles, I think, is, a, is whether it's true or not, it's a perception. So I think that's something Salah's fighting up against. And so, you know, ultimately... 
they still would have, like you said, they still would have had problems to fix. Ultimately, it, they would have been able to spin it as if we get a quarterback, we're good. Now you have to, you're, you have to spin it as we have to fix our entire offense, which, you know, does not happen overnight. They're, they're changing their offense by all accounts, unless they bring in somebody from the Shanahan tree, which I don't even know if he's interviewed anybody from the tree. They wanted to interview Daryl Bevel, who works for Mike McDaniel right now, but he said, no, thanks. So, um, you know, they've interviewed some young guys. I don't, we don't really know what system they would run. Uh, if any, they hired any of these guys. Um, and so, yeah, they they still would have had a lot to answer for. It would have just been, they would have been able to go a little more with the status quo in terms of the system they ran and the belief that, okay, we're a quarterback and an offensive line away from like going on a run. But since they didn't make the playoffs and like all those things happen, you have the floor gone. Now all of a sudden all these other, all these other cracks have, uh, have appeared and they need to, they need to fix it fast because a lot of people's jobs are on the line. And, um, and when people's jobs are on the line, uh, that's when, and I think you saw this the last time they had a good season, I believe with Todd Bowles, they went and it went on like a spending spree in the off season and it, and it like failed miserably. So you wonder, cause I mean, and, and it's hard to even like, you know, say that's the wrong idea because coaches and GMs are going for their job. So they don't have the luxury of waiting sometimes. So yeah, that, so the the quarterback part of it is ultimately was always going to be the topic of this offseason. It's more important now, especially, you know, as the days go on, I'm less and less confident in like their ability to go and get like a star, like, or, or even somebody that uh, makes you feel like really good. Um, I think Derek Carr is probably the most realistic option that you feel like, okay, we got a significant upgrade, but if you don't get him, you know, I, I'm, I'm skeptical that Lamar Jackson will actually be traded. I, I'm sure as time progresses, we'll see. Uh, they would pursue him, but there's also no guarantee that you pers- that you achieve that trade. So if you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for the Ravens to decide, all of a sudden all the quarterback the quarterback market dries up and you're left with bringing back Mike White again or starting Zach Wilson or something. So that the options aren't that appealing in my mind. Like Jimmy G sounded better when you were doing the 49ers offense. Like how, did, how much, how much like, he, Yeah, now they're changing that. it in theory. Like yeah, he has a good relationship with Salah, so maybe that helps, but. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of things coming out of this, and that's kind of like part of the headline was the fallout of all of this. And the fallout of it is they have to change their offense now. They have to find an offensive coordinator, they have to find an offensive line coach, they have to find a wide receivers coach, you gotta find a new quarterback. Uh, none of those things are easy to do. So you so think I they're guess- in a worse position than they were this last offseason? <sighs> Oh, I know you weren't covering the team at the time, yeah, yeah. but I mean, um, as I like, know. I've obviously read your story two times now and like the more <laughs> I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, like how did we get back? I mean, I think we're farther back. No, I don't know. Hmm. What do you I, think? It's, it's a good question. Cause I mean, th- those are very big question marks, but yeah. the, at the same time, like they, they're in a good position in terms of, I think they have a good head coach and I Pieces. think they have, yeah. they have the piece. They have, they have a young core of talent, sauce, Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson, they thought Tucker. they had the quarterback a year ago. That's one big difference. Yeah, exactly. Right. That, so so that's why you could say they're in worse spot because you don't have the quarterback. So if you don't have a quarterback, right. then you're not going anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a fair question. I, I don't know the answer, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I think they're in a better the place as an organization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think they're in a better place as an organization for sure. I think this is the best run they've been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they've been able to weather controversy is way better. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, they don't have a quarterback, and you have to fix your offense. So um, there's a lot, lot they have to figure out this offseason. Yeah, I mean, they know they have a star in Sauce, a star in Garrett, like that stuff they didn't know a year ago. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, any final thoughts, Zach, before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, you know, I so part of we didn't really talk about this, but I, part of the story 
you know, I talked about the Woody Johnson perception thing. Like there was a perception that he forced Robert to fire LaFleur. And I, you know, the only people that really know that are probably Woody and Robert, but I, I don't get the impression that he was forced uh, to fire him. I, I think they, they, my impression is that, you know, there were scenarios where Mike came back where maybe the structure looked a little different, but ultimately they decided the best path forward was to part ways. I think you're seeing LaFleur is probably going to get an offensive coordinator job, either with the Rams or even the Chargers. So he might wind up in a better spot, honestly, like in a better position in terms of like, you know, you have Matt Stafford or you have Justin Herbert. <laughs> um, so he can run the offense he wants to run and all that stuff. So I, I think that that's something to keep in mind. I, I don't like while I know I think Woody definitely is like involved in all the process and maybe even more than he wants to let on. But I, I don't think he forced Robert's hand here. Uh, I, I, I think it'd be perfectly reasonable if Robert felt pressured to like make a significant change and the only one you could see that makes the most sense that would satisfy the owner would be LaFleur. But I, I don't think he was like, you have to fire him or you're fired. Like, I don't think it ever got to that. And he must have thought in that moment of making that decision that he could find something better out there. I mean, you, you would think he's... you would think I, I think I think they knew they were going to have some challenges. Um, but like, I, I, I think they thought, you know, we have this core of young guys. We have this defense. We have you know, all these guys coming back from injury, we're, we're going to invest in the quarterback. Like, I think th they, they're trying, they think they have all those pieces that would be appealing, but the problem, I think the stickler is just, are you going to be here in a year? <laughs> so does a young guy who's never called plays want to risk his first job doing that and then get fired in a year on the, on the flip side, you could argue it's a risk worth taking because if you fix this offense and you're probably going to be a head coach pretty soon. So I don't know. It's, it's very interesting spot they're in. Um, and I, I don't think the offensive coordinator, job is going to be filled very soon. I think it's going to be a long process is what I would say. All right. That's a, I'm glad you said that because I was going to say, we're going to be back with you probably when they hire an offensive coordinator, but if it's going to be an extended stay, we'll probably <laughs> well, be we can talk about in. the candidates at least. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll be back with, with a candidate check-in um, and, and all that stuff as this off season continues. If you haven't read the story on the athletic, uh, go check it out. If you need a subscription, uh, the athletic.com slash can't wait gets in for one ninety nine a month for a year. Uh, great job, Zach on the writing. And we will talk to everybody again soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.